Tonight I turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. <clears throat> I had a nice visit with uh, Ray Austin yesterday. And um, I said, it's the best you've looked in about six months. And he said, I feel about the best I've felt. And so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, pray for them today. They had to leave around 6 o'clock this morning, drive into Toronto for some tests. And they thought they'd be there all day and then have to drive back through rush hour again tonight. So it's a long, long day when you're not feeling well. So uh, continue to pray for them. And then uh, Jeff Masker and I took, uh, went out and got Roger and we took him out for lunch yesterday. And uh, it was good to hear him laugh. He was kind of, had a real sober look on Sunday. And, but uh, yesterday he was laughing and it was good to see that. And we had a good time with him and hopefully tried to encourage him a little bit. And so continue to pray for Roger and the family as they uh, deal with this loss. And uh, so just continue to pray for those folks. I know they appreciate that so much. Uh, we haven't been able to, we've been trying a couple times, Brother Baker and I, Brother Vogel and I, to get in touch with Wolfgang, and haven't been able to get in touch with him. We've been out to his place and, and called and different things, and so uh, would you pray about that is, uh, you know, with his health issues, sometimes he's in and out of the hospital and we never hear about it. So uh, continue to pray for Wolfgang as well. James chapter 2 tonight, we've talked about the Christian and his battles the first week. Last week we looked at the Christian and his Bible, and tonight it's the Christian and his brethren, the Christian and his brethren. And that's your Roman numeral three. Oh, I see Austin, Austin caught that and corrected it for me. I put it in Roman numeral two in our notes. But it's the Christian and his brethren, Roman numeral two. And we'll read just a few verses, but we'll go through the first 13 verses of chapter two tonight. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That's a theme that we'll look at tonight, how we treat other people with the respect of persons. It's interesting that there are certain sins that are listed in the Bible one or two times in obscure verses buried in the Old Testament, and yet we always call to remembrance those. And yet, this one here about having respect for persons deals with a very big issue, 13 verses long that we'll look at tonight, and we often consider that maybe a smaller sin. Well, sin is sin in the eyes of God. And we ought to love one another and be careful how we treat one another. The Bible says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto you your assembly, a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? And are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, to understand this passage of Scripture tonight, Lord. And as we work our way through it, we pray that you'd open up the... Uh, the treasures that are laying within this, this uh, passage that James has given to us through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd help me, fill me, I pray, give me the words to say, and help the Holy Spirit, Lord, to teach each one of us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll look tonight at the Christian and his brethren. Paul is address, or James is addressing them as my brethren. He says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. So you see in your notes, letter A, partiality... A sin against the Lord. 
Partiality is a sin against the Lord. We're going to get to that verse in just a moment, but the Bible comes right out and says, it is a sin. And we'll see that later on. A lot of things we do by principle. There are certain places we will not go, not because the Bible says thou shalt not go there, but because we know that it is harmful to us as a Christian because of Bible principles. We believe in the separation of a child of God, that we ought not touch the unclean thing. And so there's a lot of things that we will put on our list, maybe not necessarily preach to others, but we have decided for ourselves we will not touch it. We won't go there. It is a temptation and a stumbling block. But for this uh, in, in this uh, uh, situation, partiality or prejudices are just flat-out sin. You'll see that in the Scripture tonight. And so, number one, the problem stated. The problem stated. We see in verses 1 through 3, in verse 1, we see an indication of the problem. What is the problem, or what is the sin that is being involved here? And in verse 1 just tells us very plainly, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is incompatible with partiality and discrimination. The two simply do not mix. I'll read the verse once again. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Well, the word have there means is the same as hold. Don't hold faith. Don't have faith. Or don't say you have faith in Jesus Christ if you have uh, discriminatory thoughts about people. Now, we sometimes narrow this down and we think about the rich and the poor. That, you'll find in a moment that's an illustration that is given in Scripture. But the broader term here that we see is with respect of persons, the Bible is talking about racial bigotry. It's talking about discriminating based upon somebody's abilities or disabilities. It's talking about discriminating based on their uh, color of their skin. Discriminating based on their talent level. Based on their affluence, their, their amount of money. And so the illustration that we'll see in a minute is just an illustration of the bigger problem that is identified. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and, and verse 1, or verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. Now think about that. If the Bible plainly states that God is no respecter of persons and that there's no respect of persons with God, and you'll remember later that Peter said that, that God is no, I can see now that God is no respecter of persons when the Gentiles received the gospel. Uh, if God is not partial, not discriminatory, not racial, not bigoted, then it makes sense that Satan would try to make that an issue in the earth. How many of you would say that our earth is pretty divided along racial, ethnic, religious, uh, there's rich and poor, there's classes of people that have been divided, all man-made, but our world is very divided. That is not of God. And the Bible is very plain about that. And so the problem stated is, is this division. Jesus is completely unimpressed with the color of your skin the size of your bank account, your prestige among men, or how many degrees you might have under your name. Now think about this. Jesus treated the woman at the well, a Samaritan, with the same respect as he treated Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The Bible talks about a rich man named Jairus who was a captain among men. He was treated with the exact same respect as the woman who touched the hem of his garment, who had been an outcast in society. And so Jesus treated everybody the same. And then we see in verses 2 and 3 an illustration of the problem. So we have a, uh, an indication of the problem, letter A, and then an illustration of the problem, verse 2. For if there, that tells us it's an illustration. 
This is an application of the truth stated in verse 1. If there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. We see three people in these two verses. You say, well, I only see two. But notice the three people, will you? First of all, we see the prosperous man. The Bible says, if there come unto you an assembly, a man with a gold ring. Now, have you ever done this? Have you ever identified somebody by an overwhelming characteristic? It's funny because I remember being uh, somewhere one time, and, and uh, I, I know exactly where we were. We were at uh, Lancaster Baptist Church, and the choir was singing. And there's about 300 people in this choir. But there was one lady in particular that stood out with a passion. She reminded us of Flo. She looked a lot like Flo, I mean to say. And I mean, really, from a distance, didn't we? We, we said, boy, and everybody that was with us, Tony and Lori, everybody said, that, she kind of looks like Flo Jameson. But she had her hair piled up real high. And my wife said, did you see that lady with all the, like, when she sang, she sang she, with her whole person. You could tell she believed what she was singing. It just, it just was contagious. And my wife said, did you see the lady with all that passion? I said, you mean the lady with the hair? She says, yes, that's her. Well, everybody in the choir had hair, at least all the women did. But that's what I'm trying to say. It was an identifying mark. She stood out from the rest because of her hairstyle. Not that it was a bad hairstyle. I think it was not worldly. It was just the way she had it done that night up, in the, up high. And, but we kind of do that, don't we? That's what this verse is trying to say to us. That word good, uh, with a gold ring means a man who flaunts a gold ring. Think about that. If, if somebody were to come to church on Sunday morning and I'd say, hey, did you see that man with the gold ring? Well, most of us have gold rings on, don't we, men? You'd say, what are you talking about? So in order for them to take notice, it had to have been flaunted. It was something the man was trying to use to impress. It's something that identified his great wealth. And that's exactly what the, word, the wording here in the Greek is saying to us. It literally means one who is known for his money and his gold ring. He flaunts it and he wants others to be aware of his wealth. And it's interesting, the next phrase, the Bible says he's also clothed in goodly apparel. Do you know that the Greek word for goodly apparel here is only used one other time in Scripture? And the time that it is used is when Herod took a kingly robe and put it on the back of Jesus Christ to mock him, to make him look like a king. That's, that's what the word, and so it was a, a defining mark or something that would set him apart from others. And so this was prosperous man, wanted everybody to know he was prosperous. And then in the second part of verse 2, we see not just the prosperous man, we see the poor man. The poor man. The Bible says, for there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and a goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. That word vile means exactly the opposite of goodly. I mean, I'm defining these words a little bit for you, but you don't really need it to find. Right in the Bible, it's very plain. You understand what goodly is, and you understand what vile is. This man did not have much. But then we see the third person in verse 3. We see the pitiful man. And who's that? And ye have respect to him. It's identifying a third person there. It's identifying the one, the, the usher, the greeter, the person that says, hey, I've got special seating for you. And he puts the man in vile raiment in the worst seat in the house. And the man that was prosperous 
in the best seat of the house. And so we see that there's a real problem here, and it is illustrated, but the real problem is, is respecting of persons based upon their appearance. We are not to treat one another like that. We're not to treat anybody like that. And then we see, secondly, tonight, number two, the problem studied. The problem studied. And so he goes into a little bit more in depth. By the way, this is important. So how do you know it's important? Because James just keeps hammering away at it. This isn't thou shalt not kill that's just said the one time. And then identified later on in Leviticus and Deuteronomy for the Jews, and we see the giving of the law. But he, I mean, he hammers this home over. He's just giving us a whole chapter about it. So we see the problem studied. Letter A, the Christian perspective conveyed or communicated. Here's how a Christian is supposed to have a perspective on this. And so we see the indictment recorded, number one, verse four. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? What are you saying here is if you are behaving this way, you've become partial. You've become discriminatory. You've become maybe racial if it has to do with color of skin. You've become a bigot if it has to come with some other area of life. And so he says, are ye not? And then he says, and are become judges of evil thoughts. Now, he's not saying you're judging somebody's evil thoughts. He says you are judges with evil thoughts. You'd be identified as judges of evil thoughts. He says your thinking's wrong. It's backward. It, something is different about it. And, and so we have to be very careful about becoming that bigoted, racial, partial type of church that is divided along whether it's ethnic or uh, affluency or classage or whatever it might be. The Bible teaches we are to stay away from it. C.S. Lewis, you might know as the author, but he was also a pastor. When he first accepted Christ as his Savior, he says he went to his local church where he got saved and decided that he should attend faithfully and join the church. The problem was, C.S. Lewis had already written several secular books and was quite well off, had a lot of money. And when he got saved, he went back to this church and he says, I found a church full of people that I was trying to avoid. The people that I would cross the street and go the other way. The people that were poor and his grocer was there, he said, and didn't hang around with people that had just lower jobs than he thought were proper. And he says, I understood that if Christ could die for them and Christ could love them, then I must love them too. And going to church changed his whole way of thinking. And so we see the indictment recorded, but then the indictment is reviewed again in verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren... Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But he says, uh, if we think about this, the, the riches and the thing, the Bible talks about the rich man. It's easier for a, a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. That's not because he has things or God has blessed him with things. It's simply because uh, there's uh, often the stigma of not having humility attached. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. 
So we must be careful to avoid the love of things in this life. Think about this when we think about the poor. Moses was a fugitive on the backside of the desert, the son of a slave. David was a shepherd boy. Daniel was a slave. Jacob sold himself as a servant to Laban to secure a wife, but they were all rich in faith. And that's what verse 5 is teaching us. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Those that may not have much in this world, but they have lots of faith. They're rich in faith, and so they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as if it's not enough, the indictment is again repeated in verse 6. But ye have despised the poor. So he indicts them again. And we start to see that this problem that James is addressing is not just some warning he's given the church of Jerusalem. He's actually pointing the finger at the church of Jerusalem. He's saying, ye have despised the poor. So he gives us the indictment. He gives us the principle of what partiality is and how it is wrong before God, and God is no respecter of persons. He illustrates in a very, let's be honest, a very harsh way. How would you like it if I used an illustration and I said, well, you know, let me give you an illustration about Wendy Bug's sin. Boy, that'd be kind of personal, wouldn't it? But that's what he does. He says, if a man in goodly apparel comes into the church and there's a poor man, he's talking about them. The illustration he gives is right between their eyes. And then he gets down to it. In case they missed it, you've despised the poor. It's you that I'm talking about. James seems to be quite disgusted with the Jerusalem church's behavior. And so he continues to hammer home this fact that it is reprehensible. The word despised there in verse 5 means they were treated shamefully and without honor. And then we see, secondly, letter B. The Christian perspective confirmed. So we have the Christian perspective conveyed or communicated to us, but now he confirms it. He just keeps pounding it home. Look at verse 6 in the second half. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Paul, James is reminding them, hey, you used to be treated like this and you're still treated like this. Why would you dare treat others like this? Do not rich men Come and they haul you before the judgment seat. They say, who would that have been? How about the Pharisees persecuting that church at Jerusalem? We read about that church in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, how they were, they were despised and, and they were scattered abroad. And by the way, if there were rich people in that church in this time, they weren't later on. Because they were scattered all over the place. The churches of Macedonia were encouraged to take an offering to help them in their poverty. They lost everything. But the Bible is very plain here when it says to us, you've despised the poor. And then he says, do not rich men oppress you. The Romans had been oppressing them. The rich Jewish landowners had been oppressing them. They were taxed till it hurt. And he says, don't you remember that? He says, now you're doing the very same thing in the local church to people that are maybe less fortunate than you are. Then we see sometimes rich people, he's talking about rich people, letter one, who bully Christians. Rich people who bully Christians, and that's what we just talked about. First Timothy chapter 6 says this, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now listen to the rest of the verse though, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. See, it's not riches that's the problem, it's the love of riches. It's not having them, it's coveting them. They which have coveted after, they have erred from the faith, 
and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The word oppressed there that James is telling the church that they've been oppressed and now they're oppressing others, it means to exercise power over. These people were being flaunted about by money and they were exercising their power over the poorer Christians. And so not only is it a problem that they uh, bully Christians, but they also blaspheme Christ, number two. They blaspheme Christ. Look at verse seven. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? They walk around town all week calling themselves a Christian and then when they get in the church house, they weren't acting like one. And they were treating other people Very poorly because they didn't have nice clothes. Because they didn't have much money to give. Maybe they didn't have much to bring to a potluck dinner. And so they were oppressing them. They were holding them down. And he says, listen, you might might think you're bullying Christians, but you're also blaspheming Christ. You're taking his name in vain. Racism, partiality, class divisions, etc. That should not be named among the Christian. It's foolishness. Then we see letter B, partiality. Not only a sin against the Lord, but it's a sin against the law. Look at what he says about the law in verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as ye do uh, as thyself, ye do well. So we see the royal law defined, and what is it? The royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I think I remember the Pharisees asking Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. It wasn't the rich ruler, it wasn't the Jewish man, but it was the Samaritan, the one that the Jews despised and pushed aside, but because he knelt down and helped them, he's your neighbor. And we are encouraged to love our neighbors. That phrase, uh, law that we see that Jesus just shared, in, or James just shared in chapter 2 and verse 8, comes right from Leviticus 19, where the Bible says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. And not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And if we can obey that law and love our neighbor as ourselves, we see the commendation, ye do well. It doesn't sound like much, a pat on the back, ye do well. But we live this entire life to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the most important thing that will ever be said of us in Scripture. When Jesus welcomes us home and says, well done, he says, ye have done well. If you can love your neighbor as yourself. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. I just referenced it, but I'd like you to see some of the things, elements of that story as we think about this partiality in the book of James. Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do stew, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves and stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance 
There came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You see, what is the point of reading that? Here's the point. It's not just what you say that matters, it's your actions that matter. The Pharisees and those would think they were better than everybody else. Here was a man that was a lawyer, the Bible tells us. Others would certainly say, maybe even in this room tonight, well, I'm, I don't judge people like that. I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. I, I'm not partial to rich or poor. I don't care about classes or divides or how much money somebody makes. It doesn't matter to me. But your actions speak louder than words. And I have to think that that priest, if he were pushed by his followers, those that he would speak to each Saturday in the synagogue, they, he would say, no, love your neighbor as yourself. That was what he taught. But the Bible also says he just passed on by. And if the Pharisee were asked what the greatest commandment was, he'd say, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And yet he just passed on by. See, it's not your words, it's your deeds. Remember last week, we are to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer as well. And so we see the difference in what is real and what is fake. And fake, you can say whatever you want. But love has to be enacted and poured out and displayed for people to see. And so we see the royal law defined. Now I want you to see the royal law defied. The royal law is defied in verse 9. Oh, I gotta, sorry, I've got to go back to James. James chapter 2, verse 9. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. Pretty plain, isn't it? We don't have to figure that out by principle. We don't, have to, we don't have to get somebody to interpret that for us. If you have respect of persons, ye have sin. It's wrong. Plain old wrong. Ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So we see, first of all, a very great principle, and then we have an example. In verse 9, he says, if you are respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So it is sin. We finally get down to, to, the, to the rubber on the road here, the bare bones of it all. Partiality is sin. But then we have an explanation. First of all, we see the fact declared in verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Well, I'm not a bad person. All I've done is a little white lie. Sin is sin. And it's clarified even further as we see not only is the fact declared, but the fact is demonstrated in verse 11. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, well that's a good thing. Yet if thou kill, you're guilty of the whole law. So we're guilty. He said, well, you know what? I haven't murdered, cheated, stole, killed. I've been faithful to my wife, no adultery. 
but I don't treat people very kind. Somebody doesn't have much money, I'm not very nice to them. I look down upon them. The Bible says you're guilty of the whole law. It's sin just the same. And so then we see the Bible gives us in verse 12 and 13 a very good policy. First of all, we see God's mandate in verse 12. So speak ye and so do as, that, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Understand you're going to be judged for this too. I've said before, we are not judged by how others treat us, but we are judged by how we treat others. So always keep that in mind. We are going to be judged by the word of God, the law of liberty, by how we treat others and how we look down upon others and how we uh, cast our judgment, if you will. And then we see God's mercy in verse 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy. That doesn't sound like mercy, does it? Keep reading. That hath showed no mercy. If we refuse to show mercy to others, then God won't show mercy to us. It's a general rule. You reap what you sow. God reserves mercy for those who show it. Matthew 5, verse 7, Jesus himself said that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And if we refuse to show mercy, God doesn't show us mercy when it comes to judging these matters. Matthew 18, we read this and we're, we're reminded of that and we see a gracious reminder in Scripture, the last part of the verse. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What's it saying? What's that mean? That God rejoices in mercy more than judgment. He'd rather show mercy. Mercy brings us great joy and we rejoice towards God when we receive mercy, not when we receive judgment. And Matthew chapter 18 reminds us of this. We read of a man that was indebted to the king. He owed him much. And the king was going to have him thrown in debtor's prison, so he wept and cried before him. And I don't know what he pleaded. Maybe he told him, I have a family and I have needs to take care of. And the king's heart was broken and he showed mercy and he erased all of his debt. On the way home, that same man found another man that was indebted to him for much, much less. And the Bible uses these words, I've never seen this in Scripture before. He took him by the throat. We see maybe Samson and a lion like that, but not a human being. The man was so vicious, he took him by the throat. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And the man had nothing, so he threw him into prison. When the king heard of it, he rescinded the man's pardon and put him also into debtor's prison. You see, there's no mercy for those that don't show mercy. And we are to behave Christ-like. And let me, let me say that verse again, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's why we forgive. God shows mercy to us. It's pretty clear from the Scriptures that God hates us thinking partially. Partiality is not to be named in racism and discrimination and those things. And We see a world divided by it today, and we ought not be part of it. The Bible says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is the neighbor? It was somebody from a different ethnic background, a different faith. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. It doesn't mean we're going to believe what they believe and we should accept uh, their religion as valid or anything like that. But we're to love the person and bring them to Jesus Christ so that they can know the Savior too. Let's pray together. Father, help us understand and speak to our hearts. And 
as we continue to work our way through the book of James and pray just help us to grow. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother McPherson.